pretty good. We've been going through the seven values of the church. And just as a quick review to get through, we're on number seven today. So to get through a, a review, value one. Biblical authority. We believe that the Bible is God's word and has the ability to show us a better way to live if we are willing to put ourselves under its authority and adjust our lives to what God reveals here is true and best. So as a group of people, as the followers of Jesus Christ, we believe God's word. We stand on biblical authority. And because of that, we go to value number two, relational intimacy. No matter what you have done wrong, we believe that by grace through faith in Jesus alone, it is still possible to be reconnected back into intimate relationship with God. So just like you, I decided to do my own thing and go my own way. And told God what he could do with his way of living. And God who loved me so much sent his son to provide a way back. So that I could have that intimate relationship restored with Jesus. Without that we don't have any reason to be here. Which takes us to value three. Intentional apprenticeship. We believe that following Jesus involves implementing a strategy to enthrall yourself with God. And eliminate any obstacles or responses that stand against God's good intentions for you. So, as our relationship with God has been restored into an intimate relationship, we then implement a strategy, a plan, by choosing how we will live. There's life and there's death. Choose life. So, <clears throat> the best way for us to have what God's intentions for us is to pursue Jesus by being an apprentice of his. A disciple. Then we got to value four. Because now we are in the process of being restored and our relationship with God is intimate. We have an authentic community. We believe that living life together in a safe Me Too community is the best opportunity for pursuing truth and grace through intentional apprenticeship to Jesus. So value one was no matter what you've done wrong. And value two is we all did that so it's Me Too. I didn't do what you did, and you didn't do what I did, but all of us turned from God and went our own way. So, me too. I understand. I understand with you. And the best chance we have to find intimate relationship and to be an apprentice of Jesus is to do it together as a body, as a group. So, as a community, we pursue truth and grace together. Value five. Gifted service. We are committed to being the kind of people who reflect both the purpose... And the personality of Jesus by leveraging the gifts Jesus has given us for the benefit of others, both inside the church and outside the church. So now that we are restored and becoming more and more like Jesus and living together in a community, we pool our resources. Our time, our money, our talents, our abilities, our dreams, our desires, our goals, our personalities. We, we put all that together to, uh, for the benefit of those in the church and those out of the church. Value six is the one we talked about last week. An excellent environment. Using our spiritual gifts, talents, abilities, resources, passions, and creativity, we believe that it is our role and responsibility to create excellent environments and eliminate any and all obstacles so that people have the best opportunity to encounter or bump into Jesus so that he can do what only he can do. And that's what we try to have here in this place. An excellent environment. 
We don't want walls and gates and obstacles that people have to climb over to come to Jesus. We want to present Jesus in an honest, true, real way. Um, Because we believe the best hope for mankind is Jesus. And what people need, you know, I'm a one-trick pony, right? I've got one answer. You've got a problem? I got the answer. It's Jesus. And that's the only answer I have. I don't have any other answer. It's Jesus. So we want to provide a place where people can come, be accepted, uh, and find Jesus by coming here, by being with us, by the things that we teach, by the songs we sing, by the way we paint the building and open the door and turn on the lights. We want everything to be done to create an excellent environment, eliminating any and all obstacles. And that brings us to today's value, value number seven, which is relational evangelism. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we believe that the most loving thing we can do for others is to go to them and invite them to come and see who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them. So there's two words up there, right? Relational and evangelism. What does evangelism mean? Evangelism is not even a church term, right? It's just a term. And what it means is to tell a good story. Evangelism is telling a good story. The other word up there is relational. That means to someone you know. So relational evangelism is this. Telling someone you know a good story. Now, what's it look like to tell somebody a good story? I got a couple of examples. A friend of mine had pain in her elbow. And she borrowed her daughter's copper sleeve. Have you seen those things advertised? And you put it on and it's got a bunch of copper around in it. And she wore that for a day or so and her elbow pain went away. Do you know how I know that? She told me. She told me. She said, my elbow hurt. And I wore this copper sleeve. And my elbow doesn't hurt now. That's a good story, isn't it? If your elbow hurt, wouldn't you want to know that maybe wearing a copper sleeve would make your elbow better? Now, I had another friend who had a sore back. And they went to a chiropractor and their back got better. You know how I know that? They told me. They said, my back was hurting. And I went to a good chiropractor. There's a really good one over in St. Joe, I hear. <laughs> there is, there is. I see. That's right. I just wanted to make sure he was listening. Yeah. <clears throat> she came and told me, my back doesn't hurt anymore. Now, an- another friend of mine, could you turn it down just a little bit? It's echoing for me. She, she was having trouble sleeping. And she took this oil and put it on her pillow. And she fell right to sleep. Now, again, how do I know this? Because she told me. Those are good stories. I bet you have heard stories like that before. Matter of fact, I bet that you tell stories like that. I bet you say, you know, I had this going on. And I found this or I did this. And that thing went away and life got better. Now... 
the friend that wore this copper thing on her elbow, I said, how did that work? And you know what she said? I don't know. I put the copper thing on, my elbow got better. I don't know how it worked. You see, she did not need to understand the way the copper stuff interacts with her nervous system and her body to make the pain go away. She didn't need to know that. It was not important. Not an important part of the story at that point. Now maybe someday she'll go research all that and find out why that word worked for her. But when she's telling me the story, it didn't matter. She didn't need to know. See, all three of those things I'm talking to you about are all things that some people say are crazy. There's a group of the population that says, copper, that won't help your elbow. She didn't care that there were some people who didn't care about copper, who thought it was a silly idea. It didn't matter to her. You know why? Because her elbow doesn't hurt anymore. She didn't care what happened. The same with the chiropractor, the same with the lavender essential oil. There are people who think that stuff doesn't work. But the people that told me, they just didn't care. They were not ashamed of the method they used because of the results they got. So they told me about it. Now, that course leads us to relational evangelism. It's a natural thing. It's funny to me to recount this story, but you know I have been to at least two sessions on evangelism. I've been trained to be an evangelist. You know the, the, the woman who had the copper thing on her elbow? She was not a trained evangelist. Her methods of telling the story weren't especially good. But the point of her story was very clear and effective. She knew I had pain. And she said, my pain went away because I used this copper thing. Maybe that would help you. So, now, <clears throat> of course we're talking about the best thing that ever happened to you today. Which I hope is not a copper elbow sleeve. If that's the best thing that's ever happened to you, have I got a story for you today. Um, we'll look at one first in John chapter 1. Maybe you turn the monitor down a little bit on my microphone, the, the upper button. John chapter 1, verse 36. This is John, John the Baptist. There's so many Johns in the New Testament, it's hard to keep them straight, so they named this John the Baptist because he baptized people. Not to be confused with the other people who were not the Baptists. But this is John the Baptist. Who, just before this, he had baptized Jesus. And now we're in verse 36 of John chapter 1. When he, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So, John was a teacher. John the Baptist. John the Baptist was not teaching in Jerusalem. Because they didn't want him to teach in Jerusalem. John the Baptist was out in the countryside. The really good qualified teachers, they were in Jerusalem. 
John was a nut. He weared, he weared, he wore camel clothing and ate bugs. And he was teaching outside of the city. Now, in the Jewish society, to be a good Jewish man, you became a disciple of a teacher. So, like when we get to start talking about Saul and the Apostle Paul, he was a disciple of some Pharisees. John the Baptist, who was the rejected teacher, who was out in the desert teaching, had some disciples. Now, what kind of men do you think would be disciples of a rejected teacher? Disciples that couldn't get in anywhere else. So here's John the Baptist, way out here in the desert, in this river, teaching people to rethink your strategy for living. Repent. And he had some disciples. Rejected disciples of a rejected teacher. And so these disciples, two of John's disciples, heard him say, There's the Lamb of God. Now what's the significance of the Lamb of God? In the Jewish society, they had lots of sheep. Because when you sinned, you sacrificed a sheep, a lamb. So there were lots of them. And they all knew what it meant to sacrifice a lamb because they had done it their whole lives to cover their sin. And John says, there's the Lamb of God. And these two followers of him, they, they followed Jesus. Now, you know, I kind of like to put these things into stories. And we know that Jesus said, come follow me. And it's like they're walking behind him. I don't think that's really quite the picture here of what's going on. I think John said, there's the Son of God. And these two disciples followed him. Like, stalked him. Like, tried to slip up and, where's he going next? And where's he, oh, he's looking. And along the way, verse 30, uh, whatever that is, Jesus said, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Now, according to good Jewish tradition, you always answer a question with a question. So they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So their answer to what do you want is, we want to stay with you. We, we want to stay with you, Jesus. And Jesus replied, come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. So these men who were disciples of John, the Son of God was pointed out to them and they started following the Son of God. And Jesus turned to them and said, what do you want? And they said, we want to stay with you. And you know what happened in these men's life for the rest of their life? They stayed with Jesus. They followed Jesus the rest of their lives. Andrew was one of these men. And he went and told his brother Peter. And Peter came and followed Jesus. And then Jesus saw this other man named Philip. And he asked him to follow him. Now, Andrew, Philip, and Peter were all from the same town. And, and now they're all following Jesus. And then we move to verse 45. Jesus had asked Philip, and then Philip found Nathanael. 
Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. Come and see. Now, I write computer software. And, and I write software that solves complex problems. And you know it's really hard to write software that solves complex problems? So we take a complex problem and we break it down until it's no longer complex. Many, many simple things that all put together that make something complex. And so we use the KISS method. Have you heard of the KISS method? Keep it simple, stupid. That's the method we follow when we write programs because it needs to be simple so people can understand it. And I kind of try to adopt that in most of my life because I have a hard time understanding complex things. But if I break them down into little simple things, I can get a pretty good grasp of it. Let me give you a pretty good grasp of how you can invite someone to Jesus. Come and see. Come and see. Does this copper thing work on your elbow? Come and see. Right? Come and see. Will Jesus change my life? Come and see. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see. Can Jesus really cleanse my heart? And give me life and freedom? Come and see. I believe you have the necessary skill to do this. Practice it with me. Come and see. Did you do it? Did it work? Come and see. Come and see. What's that invitation we're inviting people into? To move closer to Jesus and to walk along with me. To be part of the community, right? The authentic community of believers following Jesus. Come and see. Watch for a while. Watch what happens. Come and see. That's the invitation. We talked about this last week. About uh, having excellent environments. And the biggest thing you can do to get somebody to come to church is ask them. <laughs> that's pretty easy, isn't it? Ask. They'll come. What a simple invitation. Come and see. How does Jesus forgive my sins? Come and see. What do you mean I was dead and now I'm alive? Come and see. I think, at least in my life, I've always got hung up on trying to explain how it works. And my explanation of how it works makes it so complicated and convoluted nobody wants to waste their time coming and seeing. Don't be part of that. Come and see. You'll see. We'll get to that. It'll come up. Come and see. Now there's another example, another good story. It's in John chapter 9. Um, there was a man born blind. 38 years he was blind. 
And every day after breakfast, his parents or his family would take him out and set him at the corner, and he would beg for money. One day, Jesus and his disciples were going by, and they said, Why is this man born blind? Did he sin, or did his parents sin? And, and Jesus, of course, being Jesus, didn't answer why. He just said, so God could be glorified. At that moment, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud. Now, I'm a lifelong spitter. It takes a lot of spit to make some mud. You know, that didn't do it. You kind of got to get a mouthful, right? I know this is gross, I'm sorry. Here's this man blind. Jesus spits in the dirt and makes mud. And then Jesus takes some of this mud, <clears throat> this hocked up loogie mud, and wipes it on the guy's eyes and says, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And the guy did. The guy who was blind and had been his whole life, and Jesus puts this mud on his... Now, maybe the guy's blind and he didn't know where the mud came from. I don't know. But now he's got this mud on his eyes, and he goes to the Siloam pool and washes his, his eyes, washes his face, and he comes home able to see. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great story. The man who was blind for 38 years, he now can see. Now, his neighbors... This is all in John chapter 9. You can read it. His neighbor said, Isn't that the blind guy? And they said, No, that just looks like him. He's not the blind guy. And the blind guy says, uh, I can hear you. Yes, it's me. I was the blind guy. Now I see. And then they said, How did this happen? Well, some guy spit in the mud. He put the mud on my eyes. I went over to the pool of Siloam. I washed it. Now I can see. Um, they, this man, this Jesus? Yeah, that's who it was. Where is he? I don't know. So now this, this man who can now see, who, if you think about it, he's never seen Jesus. Who was the man? They called him Jesus. He sounded tall. I don't know who it is. So, then the Pharisees got involved and they called this man in and said, So, you were blind but now you can see. Yep, that's right. What happened? Well, the man named Jesus spit in the dirt, made some mud, put it on my eyes. I went over here and washed and now I can see. And the Pharisees said, That's ridiculous. Who are your parents? Stand up. Is this your son? Yep, that's my boy. Was he blind? Yeah, he was blind. Does he see now? Oh yeah, he sees fine now. What happened? I don't know. Ask him. So they do. They, they call the man back in and said, Give glory to God, which means tell the truth. We don't believe your last story. Tell a better story. So he tells them again. Mud on my eyes, washing the pool of Siloam. Now I see. How did it happen? I don't know how it happened. It happened. So then there's some sarcastic remarks going back and forth, which is probably why I like this story. <clears throat> they call each other names, and he says, what, do you want to be his disciples too? He taunts the Pharisees. They call him names and kick him out. Now we come to verse 35, which I have for you here. Jesus heard that the man had thrown... 
Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. This is the blind man. This is his first time seeing Jesus. He doesn't know. Right? Who is he? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. So here's the man, born blind, spit in the dirt, mud in the eye, washing the pool. Now he can see. Then he meets Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm the son of man. And the man who who's now can see, sees Jesus and worships the son of man. He believes in Jesus. Now why am I telling you this story? Just because it's an interesting story. Yeah, it's really funny. I think it's a hoot. But the point of the story is the order of events. We normally think that people believe in Jesus and then Jesus heals them and then they follow him the rest of their lives. That's not what happened to this man. This man was blind. Jesus healed him. Then he believed. Does it always happen this way? No. Does it happen this way? Yes. See, we, me... The, the computer nerd, I'm always looking for the pattern and the way things always work, the principles and precepts to live by so I can have building blocks to make things simple. And Jesus will not allow me to make him be a building block to make things simple. Instead, Jesus just says the simplest of things. I'm he. And this man whose eyes were open believed in Jesus and worshipped him after his eyes were open. So I tell you that as part of an evangelism story. Because every time I've been taught evangelism, it feels a whole lot like I'm at a, an insurance marketing seminar. Here, say this. By the way, here's a flow chart for you to use. Follow this, and when you get to a decision point, if they say yes, go this way. If they say no, go this way. It doesn't matter which way you're going to go. You're going to come back to the same point in the flow chart. Look, if you have one of those flow charts and that's been working for you, that's awesome. I'm not going to give anybody a flow chart to use to help somebody come to follow Jesus. That's not our style. What's our style? Do you love anybody who doesn't follow Jesus? You know anybody like that? Could you write their name down? Write their name down. Just pick two or pick ten. I don't care. Pray for them. And invite them to come and see Jesus. But I don't know what I would say. So this friend of mine, her elbow hurt. And she put this copper sleeve on her elbow, and then her elbow didn't hurt. And that's her story. I'm going to help you get a story right now. I want you to think back to who you were before you met Jesus Christ. Who were you? What were you like? You got a picture of yourself? 
Now, who are you today? The difference between who you were and who you are is your story. And you can tell people that because people want to hear that story. Look, my elbow hurt. I put this silly copper thing on and my elbow doesn't hurt. That's nice. And I'm glad that worked for my friend, but I have a prediction. If she lives long enough, I bet her elbow hurts again. Right? That's where our bodies are. It's okay. It's all good. Does that invalidate her story? No, not at all. Let me tell you a better story. I was dead in my sin, separated from God, mad at the world, and mad at myself. I'd been trying to live a holy and good life to please people at church, to please my family, to please God, to make everybody happy. And you know what? I wasn't making anybody happy, including myself. But Jesus came. He forgave me of my sins. He gave me a new heart. He set me free. And now I am fully alive in Jesus. I don't get my validation from people. I get it from God. And he says, I'm his beloved son with whom he's well pleased. Do I have bad days? Yeah. I live in a world at war. But even though I'm in a bad day, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For God is with me. Does that mean the valley of the shadow of life, of death, doesn't suck? Yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. But God is with me. He holds me up through that. So that I can sit at his table forever with him. That's my story. What's yours? I can tell the shorter version if I'm in a rush. I was dead, but now I'm alive. There you go. That's my elevator speech if I have time for that. What's your story? Who were you? Who are you now? Now, I want to tell you that if you don't have a story, that if the who were you and the who are you are the same, you're just the person I'm looking for. Have I got a story for you? about a savior of the world who came to set you free you don't have to live the way you're living you don't have to suffer through the things you're suffering through you can have life to the full how? by Jesus come and see walk along with me a little bit I'll show you we'll see how it goes come and see I don't have all the answers I don't know why Why your wife left you, why your mom died of cancer, why your kid died of cancer, why you got fired from your job, why you have cancer. I don't have any of those answers. I don't know. Come and see. I'll show you that Jesus loves you. I'll show you that he'll sustain you through these trials, these things in life that are hard. That's when we need Jesus the most. But the other time I need Jesus the most is when everything's going good. Because then I start just taking it easy and thinking I've got it made. But the fact is, that's when I need Jesus too. To guide me and lead me so I don't fall off of the, of the ditch, in the ditch at the same time.
So we come back to value number seven. Relational evangelism. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we believe the most loving thing we can do for others is to go to them and invite them to come and see who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them. So, those names you were thinking of, write those names down. Pray for them. Pray for them. Now, this is a... Because we care, because we love people, because we don't want anybody to go to hell, we start thinking of these people that don't know Jesus, and we make them be our project. This person is my project. I'm trying to get them saved. People are not projects. People are people. It's not your job to change them. It's not your job to save them. None of that is yours. What is your job? Love them. Remember we read this a couple of weeks back. Jesus said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. In response to Jesus' love, we then turn to someone else and love them the way Jesus loves us. See, if I were to tell you, because I loved you, you should love me back. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, as I have loved you, you love someone else. So I call you to do that. Somebody who doesn't know Jesus, love them. Love them. And invite them to come and see Come and see. Do you know you do not have to believe what I believe to attend this church? You know that? You don't have to dress like me, think like me, talk like me, sing like me. You don't have to be me. Matter of fact, please don't. That'd be creepy. You don't have to agree with the Bible. You don't have to agree with these values. You're welcome here. Because we want you to come and see. You see, that, that old song we used to sing, Just As I Am? We really mean that. Just as you are. Come here. And maybe you can bump into Jesus by being in a community of people who follow Jesus. People who love one another. People who use their gifts to, to, to help and support. To teach and train and love. And to expose people to Jesus. To remove obstacles. Come and see. Come and see. Me too. I understand. Me too. Come come and see. Now, not come and see this church, right? Although that's a good, good idea. Come and see here because what do we do here? We talk about Jesus. Don't come and see the church. Come and see Jesus. Come and see. And that's an invitation to church, but that's a much bigger invitation to come, come alongside me. Walk along with me a little while. Let me show you what it's like to follow Jesus. Now, this is the point where I say I don't mean to make you feel guilty, but of course what I'm going to say is going to make you feel guilty, so <clears throat> I'm sorry. I think one of the reasons we don't evangelize is because we don't think we have a good story. And believe me, I understand. I'm a lifelong churchgoer. And I didn't have a good church story for many, many years. Because my church story was, try to be a good man and keep your head down. Wait for Jesus to come back. And that's not a good story at all. 
There's no life in that. There's no freedom in that. But in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is life and there is freedom. And when I think about who I used to be and the sins I used to do on a regular basis, and now because of the restoration of Jesus, the forgiveness of my sins, the, the being spiritually alive, I've been renewed and being restored and my mind's being changed. I don't do or struggle with the same things I used to. And I got to tell you, I'm really excited about that. It's nice that an elbow no longer hurts. Okay? How much nicer that a heart no longer hurts. How much better to have friendships that are restored. How much better to be set free by the truth. I know the truth. And the truth has set me free. No longer caught up in my emotions and the condemnation and accusation and deception of my enemy. I've been set free. I know the truth. I'm a changed man. That's a story, right? Do you have that story? That's what Jesus offers today. That story. You can be changed. If you're still struggling with the same sins you have for years and years and years, the same unbelief you've had for years and years and years, have I got a story for you about a man who came as a babe in a manger, became the son of man, the son of God, the sacrifice of sins, that I could be free, that you could be free. It's available. Your mind can be changed. Your heart can be healed. Your sins can be forgiven. You can have purpose and meaning in every moment of your life. All because of Jesus Christ. And that's what we offer here. That's the only thing we offer here is Jesus Christ. And my invitation to you is come and see. Come and see what it's like. Jesus, you are the Savior of the world, the forgiver of sins, the healer of the brokenhearted, the restorer of men, the King of kings, Lord of lords. You are the giver of life. Jesus, uh, give us eyes to see you and give us eyes to see the changes you have made in us. Give us love for our fellow man the way you love us. So that in love we would share the good news about you, Jesus. That we would be evangelists. That we would find the people that we love. We would pray for them. We would look for the right opportunity. And we would tell them our story about you, Jesus. And invite them to come and see. I invite every person here today, Jesus, to come and see you more. To move closer to you. To have their eyes open so that they see you better. That their ears open. That they would hear you better. That they would know that you are alive inside of them. And they have been set free. For the kingdom of heaven now and forever. Well, that's what we pray in your name Jesus. Amen.